I'll tell you what, this has been a, a really enjoyable series for, for me and for the staff and uh, obviously for the church because it's been so exciting to get your feedback from Sunday mornings or more exciting, to be honest with you, to get the feedback from the life groups um, and all the, all the positive things that are happening in the life groups. And standing out here talking to someone this morning and they were just almost in tears with, in, with excitement about how much they love going to their life group and how it's been impactful in their lives. And, um, and it's just something they look forward to every week. And I, you know, I, I just want to encourage you, even if you, know, if you jump in late to this series in a life group, Pick a life group, jump in. There's some books still out there, some of our devotional books still out there on transforming, you know, transformation. So uh, it's okay if you start in the middle because hopefully you'll go to the life group to be part of this series and you'll stay with that life group. But just check it out because we've been looking at transforming the seven key areas of our lives, transforming seven key areas of your and my life. We've looked at spiritual health, we've looked at physical health, we've looked at emotional health, we've looked at mental health. I think Kevin did a really great job last week on the emotional health. Heard a lot of positive things about that. I was here and I enjoyed it as well. This week, what I want to do is I want to focus on relational health. How can we have better, stronger, more intimate relationships with one another? How can we have relational health? I want us to, to look at diffusing um, the fears that cause us to, to have poor relationships, the fears that ruin our relationships. And to do that, we need to go back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis. And we need to look at the first couple, because really, Adam and Eve, because that's really where all the trouble started with Adam and Eve. God made Adam and God put Adam in the Garden of Eden, a perfect paradise. Adam had basically everything that he wanted, except that he was still lonely. So God put Adam to sleep and he took a rib from Adam and he made Eve. And when Adam woke up from his from his deep sleep, um, and he saw Eve in all her beautiful splendor. He said, man. OK, I wasn't there, but uh, just imagine. OK, he's like, man, he's like, oh, man, he's like, whoa, man, woman, woman. That's it. That's how it, that's how it came about. OK, it's not I won't hold up in court, but I, I think that's basically what happened. He was like, whoa, buddy. OK. And he was very, then he was even happier than he was before. The paradise may have been beautiful, but now he's got a beautiful woman there. And Adam is one happy camper. Things were going really, really well for a long time because there was no sin in the world. Can you imagine? There's no sin in the world. So there was no suffering. There was no sorrow. There was no sickness. There was no sadness. There was no deceit. There was no lying. There's no manipulation. There's no there's no no jealousy. None of those things because there was no sin in the world. Adam and Eve were the only people in the history of the world to have a perfect relationship. They had a perfect relationship. And then we all know the rest of the story. Satan comes along and he tempts Eve with a lie. He lies to Eve. He says to Eve, didn't God say that you're not allowed to eat from any of the trees in the, in, in the garden? Obviously, that's not what God said. God said you can't eat from the one tree. Everything else, totally, no problem. That one tree, off limits. 
And from that, we have so many problems, so many things. You know, one of the reasons, the reason that God said that is he wanted to give people a choice. You cannot have a relationship of love. You cannot love someone unless you have the choice to love them or not to love them. God didn't create puppets. He didn't create robots. He created people. And he gave us a choice. He gave us a choice because he wanted us to choose to love him. Then Satan says, well, God says that you're going to die if you if you do, if you eat of the fruit of this tree. But he's not. He's lying. You're not going to die. You won't die. Matter of fact, you will. You will have the wisdom of God. You will be a God. You'll be like God is what he what he tempts her with. Every temptation comes to that basic issue. I want to be God. I want to be the Lord of my own life. I want to make my own decisions. I want to be the God of my life. Notice Satan never tempts us, never tempts us with the, with the, with the, 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 the temptation that you're going to be like him. He never tempts us with the fact that we'll be like him, but that we will be like God. We will be like God. And basically, Eve falls for that line, and women have been falling for bad lines ever since. That's how, that's how that came about. <laughs> that came about that, that, that came, that's where it came from, I hate to tell you. Again, that won't hold them in court either. But, you know, hey, why are you reading when you could be talking to me, you know? Um, I, went through some, I went through some one-liners kind of deal. I went to, kind of went online and looked at some one-liners. And I, if I don't use any of those, I'd have never gotten married. They're all terrible. I mean, all, that's the only one I pulled out that was at least, you know, that's not even very good. But Eve fell for that line of thinking. If you do this, you will be as wise as God. You will be like God. You will be God. You will be a God. And so she falls for that. In Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6, it is filled with enormous amounts of spiritual truth. Fill with it. I mean, Genesis 3, starting in verse, actually Genesis all the way through, but Genesis 3, starting in verse 6, fill with deep spiritual truth. But this morning, I want us to focus on, I want to point out the relational truth that we find in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. What are the relational truths that we can use in our own lives? Because in this story, we see two basic fundamental fears that pop up in every relationship. Here in Genesis 3, two fundamental fears that pop up in every relationship. And as we go through this, you can use all that we're going to talk about this morning in every relationship that you have. Not just husband and wife, but all the relationships that we have. You can use what we're going to learn to effectively strengthen every relationship that you have in your life. So how do fears ruin relationships? How do our fears ruin our relationships? Let me give you a couple points here. The first fear is the fear of exposure. It's the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure makes me distant. It keeps me distant from other people. That fear of exposure. Have you ever asked yourself or said to yourself, why is it, or maybe other people have pointed this out in your life, why is it that I can't get closer to the people that, that I love? I, I, just see, I can't seem to have that intimate relationship with the people that I love. I can't, I can't break through. Why is it? 
I want to be I want to be closer to my wife. I want to you said to yourself, I want to be closer to my husband. I want to be I want to be closer to the, the people around me. What, what, what is it in me that's keeping me from the intimate relationships that I want to have with the people around me? Well, it's because my fear of exposure keeps me distant from those people. My fear of exposure keeps me distant. Here's the truth. There's a lot in each one of us that we don't like. Right? There's a lot about us that personally, there's a lot that we don't like. And if you don't like something about yourself, if you don't like something about yourself, the last thing you want to do is have anybody else see that, get close enough to see what you see and maybe reject you for it. So you keep people at a distance. The fear of exposure keeps you at a distance. You don't want them to see what you see in yourself sometimes. See, the closer we get to people, it's okay to have relationships, and men are really good at this, at an arm's length, okay? It's okay to, we want to keep people at an arm's length. We want to have relationships, we don't want them that close, because when people get close to you, they see your flaws. They see your failures. They see your weaknesses. They see all those, the blemishes in your life. They see those things. And so we want to keep people at a distance. We don't want people to get too close. So we build walls because of the fear of exposure. That's why you build walls. People build walls because they don't want people to get too close and to see what's going on in their lives. And, you know, sometimes it's not all your fault and maybe things have happened to you. But even that keeps you at a distance You don't want to get close to other people. You don't want them to get so close that they're going to see what may have gone on in your life already. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God asked Adam a question, where are you? Now, here's the deal. When God asks a question, he already knows the answer to the question he's asking. It's not really, hey, Adam, where are you? He was asking the question for Adam's benefit. He wanted Adam to own up. He wanted Adam to take responsibility for his actions. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but we know that Adam didn't take responsibility for his actions. God wanted Adam to own up. He wanted him to take responsibility, to accept responsibility. Listen, transformation, transformation in your relationship only happens when you begin to own up. When, when you become honest with yourself that your relationships are not what they could be. Not what you want them to be. And take some responsibility for that. Own up. Own up, own up to the fact that you're, maybe you're, you're distancing yourself from other people. You're not allowing people to get close. We need to own the reasons for that. Look at the phrase, I was afraid and I hid. Because they go together. I was afraid and so I hid. Fear... Fear always puts us in hiding. Fear always causes us to hide. I wonder what you're hiding from today because of fear. Think about it in your own life. What are you relationally hiding from because of fear? Whatever that fear is in your life. 
what are you, what are you hiding from? What are you, what are you pretending isn't a problem in your life, in your relationships, because you're afraid to face the truth? What is it that you're pretending, if you will, isn't there because you're afraid to face up to the truth in your own life? Those are questions that we have to answer. See, here's the deal. God doesn't want us to fake it. He wants us to face it when he comes to our relationships. You can't fake it with God. Now, we try to fake it with each other. It's just the way it is. A few years back, probably 10 years ago, I had little plates, and I had someone who's an artist draw little smile faces on the plates, and I put a little stick on each plate and glued it there. And, and everybody came in, and I had everybody hold up their faces, and everybody had a smile face on. And look around the room. Look at everybody else. You know, look, everybody's happy, you know. You say to people, how are you doing? How's it going? And they say, fine, there is fine, but their faces don't look fine. But we put that on. We fake it. God doesn't want us to fake it. He wants us to face it when it comes to our fears. How do we face our fears? He wants us to overcome those fears. Look at the look at the the phrase, this next phrase, I was naked. To be naked is to be exposed. It's to be uncovered. It's to be all in this in this context, it's to be authentic. It's to be open. It's opening yourself up. It's to be unprotected, to be vulnerable. You want to have deep, intimate relationships with the people around you? You have to allow yourself to be vulnerable. We have to allow ourselves to be opened up and be vulnerable. See, when we're afraid of being vulnerable and open and honest, when we're, when we're afraid of letting people see us as we really are, when we're afraid of that, we become distant. We distance ourselves. We're afraid of that vulnerability. We don't want people inside. And for a lot of us, maybe it's because you, you, when you're early on in your life, you opened yourself up and didn't work out too well for you. Satan loves that, too. He loves those situations early in your marriage. When Deb and I do premarital counseling, we talk about this all the time. That first year is so important because you don't really know each other. You really don't know each other that well until you really have that relationship, that intimate marriage relationship. And sometimes people say things or do things or something happens and, you know, people open themselves up and didn't get the response that they wanted because, my goodness, think about it, how immature. I'm not, this is not a criticism. How immature was I at 22 years old? When it comes to the deeper understanding of relationships and how I should interact with my wife or my friends or whatever else, we're still growing. But those things are remembered. And so you keep your distance. You've opened up. And so you don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be open. You don't want to be honest. You don't want to let people see who you really are because you tried that once before. It didn't work for you. So you become distant. See, one of our biggest needs, here, here's, where, here's where the rub comes in. Another reason that... Evolution, forget it, okay? Here, here's, where, here's, where the re, here's reality. Here's the realities of life. You have a desire, a deep desire to be loved. You need to be loved. That's one of your deepest desires. The deepest needs you have are to be loved. But one of the deepest fears is the fear of letting people see who you are. And I'm not even saying because you're, you're a terrible person. That's not what I'm talking about. 
You just, there's things in your life sometimes you don't want people to see who you are. That's one of your deepest fears. The problem is it's running up against something the way, the way that God designed you, that your, your deep desire to be loved. You want to be loved unconditionally. See, God loves you unconditionally. You want to be loved unconditionally, but that, that love desire to be loved unconditionally is running headlong into your fear of allowing people to see who you really are. And so that keeps you distant. See, you can live with your husband or your wife for 50 years and keep secrets from them because you're not sure if they're going to accept that part of your life. If you opened up and say, here's what I think sometimes, or here's how I feel, or here's what I I struggle with, or whatever else, you're afraid that person's not going to accept that part of your life and help you work through it. And so you keep that secret. You keep those things to yourself your entire life. Just because you live with someone doesn't mean they know who you really are, because they don't. People are experts at keeping things to themselves. You know, allow, you know I'll, I'll let you see some, but you're not going to see everything. I'm not going to be exposed here. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to be open. I'm not going to be unprotected. I'm not going to be, un, you know, it's not going to happen. And so we keep those things. Just because you live with someone doesn't mean that you know exactly who they truly are until you have that true, intimate relationship. See, I want you to notice as we go through this, the damage that fear does to relationships. There's three stages I want to talk about right here, and all three of the stages are found in the book of Genesis. The first stage, stage one, is shame. It's shame. It says this. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. That's the New Living Translation. Fear, fear is so often based in shame. That's why we're afraid. It is based in, it is based in some shame in our lives. When, when you carry unresolved shame, you fear embarrassment. I want you to think about this because you know it's true. When you have unresolved shame in your life, you fear embarrassment almost more than anything else. Almost more than anything else in your life. And you'll do almost anything in your life to avoid it, to avoid that embarrassment. We do that in our lives. I don't care if it was when you were younger and they told you, here's a piece of chalk, go up to the chalkboard and I want you to do this problem. You couldn't do it and everyone laughed and you feel ashamed because you didn't know the answer. And now, man, what, I don't, you, you can use whatever analogy you want or whatever, but you're not going up to that chalkboard again and be embarrassed. You're ashamed of that. And so you're not going to put yourself in a position where you can be embarrassed. And so you'll do almost anything to avoid it. Shame makes me more self-conscious. Shame, shame makes me fearful of being humiliated. And I will, I will, I will do, I will go to the nth degree. I will do anything I have to do to avoid being humiliated. Feeling that, feeling that, that, that embarrassment again. So I'm going to avoid it at all costs. Here's the deal. We need to allow God to work on that area of our lives, that area of shame in our lives and help us through his power to put it to death. Because it's difficult for us to do it alone. We need to ask God to come into our lives, whatever it is for you, whatever point it is for you. You need to ask God to come in your life and help you either forgive you or help you overcome it or give you the strength, whatever it is, to overcome that shame in your life. He will do it. He will do it. Second stage is cover up. It's the cover up. See, what happens is when we feel ashamed, we try to conceal who we really are, our true self. And in in verse 7b, it says this. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up themselves. 
I have a question. How do you cover up your fears and insecurities? Don't anyone sit here and tell me you don't have fears and insecurities. I'm going to call you a liar. Okay. How do you do it? How do you do it? I'm not saying you should. I'm just asking how you do it. How do you cover up your fears and insecurities? Because we do it. A lot of times we spend our whole lives trying to cover up our fears and insecurities instead of asking God to help us overcome our fears and insecurities. Some people, I'll give you some answers. Some people will use humor. Okay, you know people like this. You try to get deep with them. You try to get close to them, whatever. And they, they, they're always joking. They're always laughing it off. It's always something funny, whatever. They, they, use, they use humor to keep you at a distance. They use humor to keep people at a distance. That's one way we do it. Some people are just, they're, they're just mean. They're mean-spirited. They, you know, no one wants to get close to them. They're not really that mean. They're just kind of hide from, they're trying to keep you at a distance. They figure you won't get too close if they act mean. They act kind of, you know, tough and mean and everything else. These people who are tough and mean are just little children. They're little five-year-old children inside who don't want to be hurt anymore. So they're going to be mean and tough. They just got bigger now and you're intimidated by them. But in reality, you can get them to cry in about five minutes. They sat down with you and talked about why they're so big and mean. So sometimes it's humor, sometimes it's being mean. Maybe, maybe you cover up your insecurities by, by presenting an image of yourself that you've got it all together. I got it all together. So you present that image, you have it all together. And what you do is you get all the right clothes and you get the right car and you get the right home and you, you present this image that you have it all together when you don't. And you know you don't. But you don't want anybody else to know you don't. You've got to keep people at a distance. So you put that persona on that you have it all together. You've got all the right things. Everybody thinks you're, boy, I never saw anybody more, more together than that person. No, not at all. It's a way of keeping people at a distance, of keeping people at arm's length. Today, in the modern times, we have another way of keeping people at a distance or pretending, if you will. See, a lot of people hide behind an online image, right? You go on their Facebook. They post on Facebook. Man, but they post on Facebook. They're perfect. You ever see some of these people? I mean, their life is perfect. It's unbelievable. They're always traveling around doing something. Even the grocery store is amazing. Every, they go to the grocery store. It's perfect. They found what they were looking for right on the right. They're incredible. Or they you read their Instagram. Man, they're the coolest people you've ever seen in your entire life. Everybody wants to date them. Their whole life is just a one big ball of fun. Right? Seriously. And you're sitting back, you know, your kids are screaming, you've got something, you're trying to do something, and you need these mom blogs. And they're like perfectly like the 1950s, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, it's a little snippet of someone's life. The, the husband just came home after that little snippet, and he's screaming, and the kids are running around carrying on, and I hate you, oh, that's life, okay? That's real. Amen is right. That's real. See, here's the deal for some of you who do that. Stop pretending that you're, you have this perfect life on social media because you are faking it and that is revealing the fears in your life. It's just revealing for those now that you know. When you read that, you go, I wonder what that person's fears are. So every time someone posts something all the time that's perfectly wonderful, then you know there's some fear in their life. And they're, they're, they're faking it in order to kind of hide the fears that are going on in their lives. Stage three is distance from God. We see this in verse eight. Then they hid from God among the trees. Adam and Eve, they were afraid to show God who they really were. Once they realized they, you know, they had that shame, they were afraid to show God who they really were. Listen, God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be honest. 
God doesn't expect you to be perfect. You already have perfection in your standing with Jesus Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. When his blood, in a sense, covers you, when you ask him to come into your life, you are now in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. In standing with God, you have perfection. While you're walking around here, making it, muddling through life, you are not going to be perfect in, in all the things that you do. So God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be honest. He wants you to be honest. That's the most important thing. Listen, if there's some sin that you need to confess, do it and move on. Is there some sin in your life this morning you need to confess? You're sitting here, you're kind of feeling like, yeah, that's the reason I'm not really close to me. I have some sin in my life. Then you need to, you need to, today is the day you need to bow your head. You need to confess that sin. And then you need to move on. You need to move on. If your shame comes from something that someone else did in your life, you need to find someone that you can trust Sit down with them and talk it through. Walk that through with them. Leave it behind. If someone did something to you that you feel ashamed by, you shouldn't feel any shame whatsoever. They should be ashamed that they did it. The only one to feel shame is the person who perpetrated that upon you, not you. So find someone who you can trust and talk to and talk through that whatever it is that's that's keeping you in bondage. You should feel no shame in your life because someone else did something to you. They should be ashamed of themselves. So what's the antidote? The antidote is love. It is, it is love. We need to learn to live in God's love. Each one of us. Listen, it's simple, but it's true. We need to learn to live in God's love. 1 John 4.18. If you, if, you if you don't have this written down in your Bible or underline, underline this in your Bible, it says this. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Fear ruins relationships. We're talking about that. Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Boom! Where God's love is, where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out all fear. You want to have more intimate relationships? The antidote is love. You need to accept God's love. You need to learn to live in God's love because God's perfect love drives out all fear. So how do we learn to live in God's love? Two quick things. Number one, I surrender my heart every single day to God. I surrender my heart every single day to God. The more, the closer I am to God, the more love fills my heart. The further I am away from God, the more fear fills my heart. Makes sense, right? God's perfect love drives out fear. If God, you are close to God, he will drive out that fear in your life. The closer I am to God, the more love fills my heart. The further away I am from God, the more fear fills my heart. Number two, I need to accept that I am completely and totally forgiven. I need to accept that I am totally forgiven. Why am I, why, why am I, why are you holding on to your shame if you're totally forgiven? You have been forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, dying for your sins, whatever past, present, and future on the cross. You are totally forgiven. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this. Therefore, write this down to Romans 8 1. Therefore, there is no, 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 none at all condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All my sins have been wiped completely clean. 
So the first fear is the fear of exposure, and that keeps me distant from other people. And Deb, my beautiful wife, is going to share the second. The second fear is the fear of disapproval, which makes us defensive. So now we're moving on from hiding and covering up to attacking, blaming others. The next step, we start blaming, attacking, pointing fingers. We say things like, but you did when we feel defensive, when we feel like we're going to be disapproved of. The more critical a person is, the more you know that they fear disapproval. So they're critical, perfectionistic, they're attacking, putting others down. The truth is, the more we fear disapproval, the more we start pointing at other people. We take the focus off of us and start putting it on somebody else. We see this in verse 12. God asks Adam, did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam answered, you gave me this woman, and she gave me this fruit, so I ate it. Right? Right away, he takes it like a man, and he says, she did it. <laughs> he blames his wife, right? And then he takes it a little step further and starts blaming God. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit, right? And Eve is no better. She's not willing to accept the responsibility either. She says in 13... Then he says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So Adam blames Eve, and Eve blames the snake, because really nobody's at fault, right? No one takes responsibility here. This happens all the time in our relationships. When someone says something to you that has a little hint of disapproval, what happens? We get defensive, right? We start explaining it away, or we attack back. We either excuse or accuse, right? We excuse, we blame others, we explain it. Or we're accused. My fear of exposure makes me distant, like Jeff talked about, and my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. The antidote, again, for both of these things is learning to live in God's love. And again, like Jeff talked about in 1 John 4, 18, wherever God's love is, there's no fear. God's perfect love drives out fear. It's as if love comes bounding through the front door and fear goes bounding out the back door. Love is actually the opposite of fear. If you think about this, think about a burning building. If you're standing in front of a burning building, everybody's what? Afraid to go in because it's up in flames. But there's one person who's going to run in. A mom going in to get her baby, right? We actually saw this happen several years ago in the neighborhood across the street from ours, our house. You could see this house burning. And we got in the car, drove around to the little, little side street, and this mom, this house was engulfed in flames, but this mom had gone in, I think, more than once to get her kids. She was home alone. She had long hair. Her hair was gone. She was burned. I mean, she just was fearless because her kids were in there. And I think her little baby was actually strapped in the high chair, so that's what took longer. But she went in in that burning house to get her baby because love overcomes fear. Love conquers. Love is greater than fear. So how do we learn to live in God's love when we fear disapproval? Every day, we need to remember the way God loves me. All of us. We need to remember the way God loves us. We need to pause and remember. So you need to remind yourself every day of the way he loves you. The first thing is that he's, you're completely accepted. I want you to think about that. I'm completely accepted. I would bet that almost nobody feels that and lives in that every day. I'm completely accepted. Some of the deepest wounds and the scars that we carry are from rejection. Whether you got it from parents or family members or a co-worker. Maybe you were working on a project and you poured your heart into it. 
and you got all, I got all torn to bits. We carry that rejection. So we spend much of our lives trying to gain acceptance from our parents, our family members, from people we respect and admire, from people we envy, even though we'll never gain their approval. And we still do it because we believe in this myth. If I could be perfect or just a little closer to perfect, then I'd be accepted. People would like me. But the truth is that Jesus walked on earth. He was completely perfect of what happened. He was rejected. So this issue of us being acceptable to God is completely resolved according to Titus 3.7. It says, Jesus made us acceptable to God. He accepts us unconditionally. Titus 3.7, Jesus made us acceptable to God. The second one, besides being accepted, is that I'm extremely valuable. So if I were to sit down with each one of you and say, what do you think you're worth? Now, I'm not talking about your net worth. Several years ago, Josh asked, are we millionaires? I said, no, we're thousandaires. It's the next best thing. I mean, we're not hundredaires, but we're thousandaires, so it's good. We're talking about self-worth, not your net worth. So what makes something valuable? There are two factors that make something valuable. The first one is who owns it. Now, we were over at Kim's house playing this week, Kim and Aaron, and Josh and Liam were playing while the twins were napping. And it usually involves yelling and wrestling and weapons of all sorts. And it, um, Liam, all of a sudden, in his super cute signature little voice, are you back there, Liam boy? I love you. He's the cutest thing ever. So Liam says, I'm going to get my mega weapon with a big, serious face. And I said, what? I'm going to get my mega weapon. And he takes off down the hall to his room thinking, mega weapon. All right. I have a nine-year-old boy. I'm kind of curious what the mega weapon is. He couldn't find it, but Kim told me it's a piece of broken string with a little plastic thing on it from a toy. It's a mega weapon because Liam owns it and it is a mega weapon, you know. But I'll tell you what trumps that mega weapon, anything Josh creates. Uncle Josh is pretty much the coolest thing around to those little nephews. Even Levi now, if he hears the boys, he starts running after him because he's one and he runs like this still. He's hilarious. But he wants to be involved in what's going on with Uncle Josh. Uncle Josh makes super cool weapons out of paper, which is an exceptional thing if you're thousandaires. It's very affordable. It doesn't hurt. It's a beautiful thing. And see, I didn't have this growing up with girls. This one has a scope. See that? Never had to deal with a scope before. It's a little revolver, but yes. When Uncle Josh makes these, all the boys want them. Please, please, Uncle Joshy, will you make me one? If Josh owns it, it is valuable. Computer paper and tape, very valuable. You know, if we were going to auction off some of our furniture, I don't know that we'd create quite a stir. I'm not sure. I don't think too many people would be interested in getting our furniture. But if we were going to auction off the president's furniture or celebrities' furniture, that would be totally different. The owner often adds value to something common, to something ordinary. Let's apply that now to ourselves. If who owns, if my value is dependent on who owns me. Mm-hmm. Who do I belong to? Who do you belong to? You belong to God. There's no greater value. You belong to him. You're a child of his. <clears throat> the second one, the value depends on what someone's willing to pay for it. When Jeff was younger, he collected baseball cards. And way back in the day when we were doing youth ministry, 
um, in the Northeast. This was a big thing still, and they had card shows and everything. Well, we'd go to some of these baseball card shows, and the prices were crazy. It was amazing. Somebody would have a good, I don't know, week, and all of a sudden it would, the prices just shot through the roof. If someone's willing to pay a lot of money for something, the value raises, the value increases. So again, applying that to each one of us, what was paid for you? 1 Corinthians 7.23, you've been bought and paid for by Christ's death. There's no greater price than Christ's death. You are valuable. So how do I practice living in God's love? Pause and remember. Remind yourself every day the way he loves you. Every day. Why every day? I'm going to tell you why. Last week... I was putting, had my coat on because this winter will never end. (laughs) And I normally throw my keys in my purse. I said first service, Maureen. I can't see up here, so I'm not sure who's here. But if Maureen is here, it's my pocketbook. But it's a Jersey Girl thing. I don't know why we call it a pocketbook, but we do. And people look at you like, "You're, you're what? Purse. I'm sorry. I don't know. We still have crazy things we say. So I didn't have my keys in my purse. I had them in my pocket, which I don't normally do because I travel with a lot of little people around. And I put my hand in to get it, my keys, and I'm digging around because I have a glove in here because it's the winter that will never end. And I pulled out this. One, two, three, four, five packets of grated Parmesan cheese. Gross. I don't even like this. I don't like it in a canister. I don't like it in a... Whatever form this is, it looks like a wet wipe thing to me. This could probably like last the apocalypse. Someone would be like eating cheese in 60 years and it'd be fine. I don't, prefer, I don't like this at all. So I did not put this in my pocket. I have no idea who put this in my pocket, if we're going to be honest. I have no idea how long I've been carrying around packets of Parmesan cheese. It's ridiculous. Somehow in my life, someone close to me, I mean, I have seven little people from nine weeks to nine years. I'm going to think, I won't blame Eleanor, because it hasn't happened in the last nine weeks. But somehow, someone close to me that I'm interacting with is loading me up with Parmesan cheese, and I don't even realize it. How does this apply to you and me? It's exactly the same way with our feelings of rejection, of disapproval, of feeling unworthy. Someone close to each of you has been loading you up. With pack after pack of Parmesan cheese. And you're carrying it around, maybe not realizing it. And you have to remind yourself daily of the way God loves you. It's not about what the world thinks or your family thinks or what you think even. It's about what God thinks. This is the way to remove our fears. All right, I'm going to close out here um, and uh, share with you. You know, what we, I think what we need to do as, as the body of Christ. So God gives us all these things. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us acceptance. God gives us value. He says, you're valuable. I own you. And this is what I paid for it. Okay. So what we need to do now is say, receive that from God. And what we receive from God, we need to pass on to each other. We need to pass on forgiveness to each other. We need to help each other overcome the struggles and the the difficulties and the challenges that we faced in the past. And and we need to help people to forgive themselves sometimes. 
Sometimes the issue is you won't forgive yourself. We need to love each other so much that we're able to talk to each other in such a way that we allow the other person, we allow the other person the freedom to, to express what they're going through, the difficulties that they're facing, the challenges, and say, you know what? You may have to forgive yourself. You may have to forgive someone else. You may have to ask for forgiveness, but we need to, we need to give what we've received. We've received forgiveness. So be that person in someone else's life who brings that forgiveness into your life. Next, we need to make sure that, that we are encouraging people that they are accepted. We need to accept each other. There's not a person in this room who's perfect. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have something in their life that if we sh- let's show it on the big screens, that we'd all be like, holy mackerel. Okay, that's not what I want, right? That, right? So none of us are perfect. We need to accept each other. People in this room need to know that you accept them. That if they, if they tell you what they've done, if they share with you the struggles they're facing, if they share with you something that happened in the past, that you're going to accept them. That you're going to love them the way God, that unconditional love. We need to try to love each other the way God loves us, the way God forgave us. So give them that love, give them that acceptance. Let them know that, you know what, whatever you're going to tell me, I'll help you work through it. I'll help you overcome it. But first, I love you. I accept you. I'm not going to reject you. I'm going to accept you. That's what we need to do for each other. We need to love each other. We need to accept each other. And then let the person know how much they're valued. That they're your val. Listen to me. I know. I know it's just me saying this from the front. And but you're so valuable. You have such value. God created you in his image. None, no, no one here is created by accident. You have eternal value. We have eternal value because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because, who, because of who owns us. God owns us. God created us. Jesus says, you're so valuable, I would give up my life for you. You all have value. We need to tell each other that. We need, to, we need to verbalize that. Tell the other person. Tell the person that, that needs to hear it. Everyone needs to hear it. That they are valued. That they're important. That they're significant. That they're loved. That they're accepted. We need to give to others what we have received. Does that make sense? That will change. That will dramatically transform our lives. If we receive it from God and we give it to others, our relationships with one another, and with God will be transformed. So do that if you would. Make that your responsibility. Make that your priority, that you are going to let people know that they are loved, that they they are accepted, and they are valued. Everyone in your family and everyone around you. That will transform our relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much this time we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be here, Lord, just to just to serve you, to worship you, to to be together as a church family and to learn these things. And God, I pray that you would apply them to our lives, that we would break down the walls that keep us separated, that keep us distant from each other. That we would overcome through your power those things that are holding us back and that, Lord God, we would give to others what you have given to us of your free will. 
Let us express that to each other, Lord, in such a way that changes the lives of those around us. We love you. We praise you. We ask that you would help us not to forget what we've learned this morning, but start applying it as soon as we leave this building, Lord. Before we leave this building, we start applying it to our lives, telling people they're loved, telling people they're accepted, telling people they're valued. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great, great week.